97X, the future of rock and roll with REM and South Central Rain. Uh, prefab Sprout before that. And we got things started off with New X. Uh, has a new album out after three decades with the original lineup. A little known fact, Billy Zoom played with Eddie Cochran. Uh, tonight, don't miss out on Local Licks. It's brought to you by Follett's Miami Bookstore, which have highlighters on sale this week at the Follett's Miami Bookstore. And you can check out new music from Cincinnati's own serial killers tonight on Local Day. Licks here Day. at Future of Rock and Roll. Day. 97. Yeah. yeah. I hate to interrupt you in your reverie, yeah. but you're doing it mm-hmm. again. It's another flashback what? to our 97X yeah. days. We're, we're not on 97X. Really? Because I've now moved and I'm living at 5120 College Corner Pike during this lockdown. <laughs> so are you sure? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, right. I'm, I'm glad highlighters are on sale, though, at the bookstore, because yeah. the highlight of our week is about to happen because the lead singer of the Serial Killers joins us, Mr. Howard Cohen. Hello, Howard. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> Howard, you and I have talked quite a bit. So if you can explain Serial Killers, local band, tell us more about them. Sure. Uh, I started playing in this band, uh, Serial Killers, in 1989. Uh, our debut was at the, uh, the lavish Sudsy Malone's Rock and Roll Laundry and Libations. And then uh, I've never stopped. And I've been playing with uh, the bass player, Jay Crowley, and the talented arranger, producer, musician, Matt Heineman, ever since with a number of different drummers, because, you know, they're drummers and the occasional keyboard player. And so we now are in our 50s and play maybe five or six times a year, but it's still really fun. So that's somehow how I ended up here on the podcast. We've always done sort of... Um, people ask me what we play and I say we're a bar band, but we've always done sort of punky new wave, uh, late seventies, early eighties, especially British was really how we started. So the clash, Elvis Costello, Billy Bragg, Joe Jackson. Um, and then over 30 years, it's kind of been whatever, um, interests us, moves us. Uh, and so that's been fun to never play the hit. Um, it's always fun to see, you know, somebody in the back's head go up, go, you know, and you can see they're saying, I can't believe they're playing this. And it's a Boomtown Rats song, but it's not, you know, whatever was popular. It's it's um, nice and neat from the third record. So, I don't know, little snobby private jukebox thing, maybe? But I know Dave and I saw you at Mad Tree's seventh anniversary, and Dave is like, man, this band is like every song is a great song that we remember from our 97X days. And it's so much fun to just hear that. Thank you. But yeah, that's kind of, we've always just wanted to play stuff that um, keeps us going. And we've been lucky that so many people over the years have stayed with us. And also, you know, people that like their kids have grown up on the stuff that we have listened to. And it's like, wow, you guys, I can't believe you guys are playing that Elvis Costello song or yeah. So that's been really great. It's really been fun. And that was the, that was the second band that I had in my in my whatever personhood as a 97X listener, scenester, scruffy little punky new wave dude. But my first band was called Reluctant Husbandry. 
and it was different personnel, uh, affectionately known as the husbands. Um, uh, in fact, uh, the rhythm guitarist actually joined the band because he got into a car accident on the way back from a huge party at our house. And he was in the emergency room with the guy who hit him and said, hey, man, I got some insurance problems. How about I pay you cash? And instead of fixing his Chevette, uh, he went out and bought a Telecaster and a Twin Reverb and said, hey, man, now I can join the band. And we never looked back. So, <laughs> so yeah, so the husbands, uh, we were, we submitted, we cut a record, uh, we cut a, a tune in the front room of this uh, dilapidated house in Clifton on Bellevue uh, on a Sunday morning, and we submitted it, and we sweated. And then it was the day of the, the famous uh, reveal of the top 20. And I was with two, because I had a geology final project due the next day, and we got a lot done, and I was with my two partners, and then I ditched them to be to run home and and get back to be with the band to listen to it. And that was this remarkable uh, kind of situation. You know, we're smoking cigarettes and drinking cheap beers and crossing our fingers. It's like, you know, oh, ours is as good as that one. Oh, ours is better than that one. Oh, that one's really good. Oh, I forgot about these dudes. Yeah, they should be on the top 20. So when it finally came to pass that we made it, um, we felt like we made it. It was really like the height of cool in our in our young lives we wouldn't be talking to you right now if it weren't for a wrecked chevy chevette so yeah there you go think of that yeah Yeah. we used to we used to have a ridiculous party that started in the dorms called drink a fifth on the fifth that morphed into a giant house party at this like i said this dumpy pad on bellevue that we had uh and there would be bands and especially if the fifth happened on a weekend night. And so there would be my band and another band called Under the Sun that was some other roommates of mine would play. We would DJ with PA equipment. And there would be like a few hundred people there. And it got to the point where uh, there were neighbors that hated it and would call the cops at exactly 11.01. And it'd be like, the cops would show up. And, you know, we weren't being uncool, but, you know, they were being kind of uncool, we thought. And so it'd be like, hey, I went out last month to talk to the cops. It's your turn, one of the roommates, and go out and wind it down. But yeah, so uh, yeah, the uh, the wrecked Chevy, that was the result of him being at a drink of fifth and uh, the accident. So drink of fifth on the fifth, that was the men's honor storm where that started, right? <laughs> I wasn't aware of a men's honor dorm uh, uh, at UC. <laughs> they wouldn't have had me. <laughs> oh my gracious! That's great. Now, now, what what year was the uh, serial killer killers in the top twenty? Do you remember that? Then that must have been about ninety. Uh, that must have been about ninety or ninety-one, because uh, yeah. That was that was a good one, and and we thought we were on a path. Uh, we were actually cutting a record with Sean Norton, bless his heart, and um, we had a, a drummer named uh, his stage name was Billy Club, and <laughs> Billy was <laughs> uh, Billy's real name was Mike, and Mike was a CCM student and was just an all-around musician, and so I'd never worked with a guy because I played all through like junior high and high school. 
I got my first bass at like as a bar mitzvah present. And uh, so played all the, you know, stuff that we didn't want to play through high school, playing Clapton, Cocaine and, and, and Skinnerd because that's what the people howled for. And then about 10th or 11th grade, we just said the heck with it and started playing what we wanted. And so that's when we started playing the jam and the cramps and stuff like that. And so, oh, so Billy Club, um, he ended up, he was a guy that, you know, you could write music because we were writing originals. We were right on that cusp too of bands were cover bands. And then all of a sudden people started emerging in the Cincinnati area scene in Dayton and Oxford uh, writing originals. And then it totally shifted and we never quite got there. We started to, and we were doing it with this record, but then the um, Billy club got a fellowship to the university of Rotterdam, a percussion fellowship, and he couldn't not take it. So he split and just killed our momentum. Um, and we never quite got it together. Never finished the record with Sean. In fact, I think we still owe him like, hundred dollars at least well you're you're okay because we only have but about don't tell him 30 listeners i'm not good for this dough i'm not good for that dough <laughs> if, if you want to keep a secret you should say it on the <laughs> rumblings from the big bush podcast because nobody will ever find out fair enough okay good thanks guys but Howard, tell us yeah, how you got into the the you know the different sort of music other than Clapton or whatever you know when you were younger. Right. Um, you know, um, I grew up in a fairly musical household. My folks were older parents. I was the youngest by ten years with my sibs, uh, and so I think they were just too tired to deal with me. They just kind of let me ride roughshod um, for the most part. But my dad was like. My folks were big band people, and 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 like Gershwin, my father's brother was a, a sax player in in like some big bands uh, and stuff like that. So there was always music in our house. And then my brother and sister, being older than me, we were kind of a Beatles household. And my folks never got the rock and roll. Um, they would occasionally go, "Oh, that's a you know, that's a good one, that's a nice one," but it wasn't like they ever bought in. They were definitely of the other generation. And then I guess I was about twelve. And I met uh, a guy through our mutual love of comic books, who was a couple years older than me, and Kiss, comic books and Kiss. And he went to another high school, and I I was invited to a a sleepover, uh, at his uh, place, and I didn't know anybody, and I barely knew him and his buddy Greg, my friend Scott and, and Greg. I remember going from the public pool and hanging out with the kids on their radios that weekend, and thinking Macho Man was the cut. And then going over and Scott turning me on to this music. And I came home and was like, Generation X is so cool. And all these bands. And so he made me a mixtape about a week later. It took him that long. And I, that was that was it. I was done. Ramones, uh, The Clash, The Jam. I mean, all just absolutely huge. So I'm in this little Western Pennsylvania town. And, you know, once I was the weirdo, um, and then, you know, for the music that I was listening to, it was okay with me. I didn't care about it, but I was playing in bands. And like I said, you had to play this stuff, the Skinnerds and the, and the, and the Cocaines. But um, about the time everybody got driver's licenses, all the freaks at the different high schools found each other and cross-pollinated. And um, that was really cool. And we had our own little bunch of 
scruffy, punky new waivers. Uh, and then I came down here to go to college in 85 and I knew I wanted to play. And so, uh, eventually, um, just sort of sought out some people and a guy that I'd been in the dorms with. And then my buddy who I was living with off campus, who had just moved back from Indiana university. And he's the one that got into the car accident and, uh, took his cash and turned it into gold. And then Billy Club, our drummer, who was the CCM student, and that's how it started. And you know, I've never, uh, never really stopped. You, you also have another connection with ninety-seven X uh, and the advertising angle of it, right? I do. I do. Uh, I've been doing voiceovers uh, for about twenty-five years. Back then, I was working at Uncle Woody's in Clifton. And uh, the owner, who was a friend of ours, is still a friend of mine, uh, but was a notorious skinflint, uh, ran radio ads on Warm 98. And that was definitely, and they had like the in-house jocks, you know, do it. I think we wrote the spot for him. So we thought we were hilarious. And then you had the Warm 98 jocks tell you about Uncle Woody's. And it was totally wrong. And so... You know, it ran and we said, look, Buzzy, if you ever spend the dough, I'll write it. I'll voice it for you. So he throws in with Susan Schreiber at 97X. And the next thing I know, we spend the next year or so driving up to Oxford and doing uh, commercials there in-house. And it was not only for Uncle Woody's, but also for the Panagiri Greek Festival, which Buzzy was very involved. It's still very involved in. So we were doing a bunch of those commercials as well. So it was like a thrill to be, I was at 97X, man. It was a big deal to me. That's very cool. And that was sort of the start of my, like getting paid to, to do voice work. And then about the early mid nineties, um, that's when I really started getting work with studios uh, here in Cincinnati. And then as the technology has um, gone on, Obviously, you could do like an ISDN line and stuff, and now it's even simpler. But doing regional spots and doing some national spots for like ABC television, I got to do. And that's where I met Rob Fetters because he was the house composer at a, at a studio downtown. And so there were certain things that he knew he could like were in my wheelhouse. So there was the coolest one, I think, was a spot for um, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. And it was a promo for ABC and it was supposed to sound like um, the Ramones. And he called me, you know, what are you doing new? Something like that. So yeah, it was so cool. And I was just like, you know, could like tell my mom, like, hey, that's me, listen for it. So that was really cool. When I think of Dick Clark, I think of the Ramones. Because <laughs> <laughs> sure. they got a good beat and you can dance to it. I gave it an 87. glue. <laughs> But the one that most people in Cincinnati will probably know is for a certain attorney. Yes. I, uh, I am the, uh, the creator, not the creator. I didn't write it. Uh, that was a Rob Fetters gig. But I am the voice of the notorious earworm 4444444. Want more? Call for, call Blake Maisley. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, if there's any hate mail uh, coming in, 
Uh, I would direct that uh, directly to the offices of Blake, <laughs> not, <laughs> not me. That was a nice uh, spoken word version of it, though. We might have to put that out on a bootleg. Well, I've been kind of, uh, I've been doing some uh, workshopping, a a deconstruction of the jingle that I'm going to take as a one-man show down to one of the fine uh, places down in Over the Rhine. Maybe maybe, uh, Motor will have me in there on Writer's Night and Mm -hmm. do a a deconstruction of uh, The Cherry Orchard by Chekhov and... uh, Four 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 four. No, actually, I think at the Woodward would be better, and just a spotlight on you, maybe sitting in a chair. <laughs> you know, I've heard the phrase: if it sounds like punishment, it probably is, and that would be yes. <laughs> the future of rock and roll. Take that rock and roll rubbish. Oh, I'm afraid it's here to stay, Holly. Ninety-seven X. So, Howard, going back, though, when you were a kid and, you know, your buddy Scott turned you on to different sort of music, were you able to tune into a station and, and, and hear that sort of music? No, there was nothing in the greater, like, I grew up north of Pittsburgh, and so there wasn't really anything. There, were, there was a, maybe a Sunday night show on WYEP in Pittsburgh, which was just this left-of-the-dial station that you had to hook your radio up through your toaster and maybe you'd get it. Uh, and that was it. And then there was a punk band and what started to be a, become a scene in Youngstown, Ohio, which is sort of right across the PA Ohio border. And my folks would let me go with Scott um, to bars and know that, you know, I wasn't not only of age, I didn't look of age, it was crazy. I got to see the Ramones the first time at the Agora Theater in Youngstown. And I snuck in without an ID, uh, thanks, to, thanks to another friend. And then we would go to Cedars to see this band called The Eight Balls. We're The Eight Balls because there's four of us. Get it? That's how they start every show, every time. <laughs> and they finally released a record last year, year and a half. And it takes, I'm suddenly 15 again. So, that was the other thing was there was this power of seeing bands like them and a band called the infidels that frank sesich who was with blue ash um had a a a handle on a hand in so yeah it was just it was really cool and you could just see that there was this intensity of live music i came to cincinnati and there was 97x and it was everything that i could want and more because they just you know I remember going to see um, Wire Train yes. and the 97 Cent shows at Bogarts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I'm paying less than a buck. Mm-hmm. And I'm going and I'm seeing, you know, national acts again. They weren't like, you know, huge, but I was into it. Um, I remember like not only was Memorial Day weekend something to look forward to, but it was just like, dude, the 500's on. The 500's on. And the radio was on all weekend throughout our house. I remember we hooked it up through and put speakers in a window because we were partying in this kind of lot uh, across the street from one of our crappy houses on Stratford really late at night and people didn't care. And we were just like, well, we can't miss the 500. Mm -hmm. And so we're blasting speakers out of, of the 500 into this lot at the the old Fairview German school there on Stratford. Yeah, we live right across. And so 
school wasn't in. We just hung out and were drinking beers in the lot. I don't know why. Deeply troubled young men. Mm-hmm. Probably couldn't find any girls. <laughs> <laughs> you had your your own version of schoolhouse modern rock going, right? <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah. But, yeah, it was just I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. And so at one point I got a job at Bogarts working for uh, Dan Reed. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I had, Yeah. I, uh, Dan was my boss. Yeah. But, Dan, I got a job as uh, uh, the guy who uh, puts up flyers. So it was like five bucks an hour. And I could go see any show. I got two tickets to whatever shows I wanted to see. And I could hire a friend for five bucks an hour. Dude, this is, you know, this is the late 80s. That's good cake. So on my way back from campus to my house on Bellevue, I'd stop in the office. I'd get this Kinko's box full of whatever. And then I'd go back, grab my one of my roommates who had a car. And they gave me a staple gun with chisel point staples. So you know Bogarts was serious. Uh and we would go and we would paper short vine and then go down to Ludlow and paper Ludlow and then come up and do uh, McMillan and Calhoun and then go home. Be like, okay, good day's work. Let's go see a show tonight. So that was really cool. It was just everywhere. Now, in your travels in the local bands you've played in your time at Bogarts, did you get to know John Earhart, who recently passed a member of Ass Ponies and Wussy? You know, I, I, I got to know John independent of music, strangely. Um, a friend, a woman that I became friends with at a, at a job that I had about 10 years ago was the next door neighbor of John and his wife, Denise. And uh, she was a teenager and they were the cool couple next door. And so when she hated her mom, she'd go over and hang out with them. And um, I got to know them over the past uh, several years and... Um, and they were people that we would see here in the Kennedy Heights, Pleasant Ridge area. And it was just just always happy to see them both. So uh, finding out about this uh, just yesterday or the day before, I was, uh, I'm saddened and, and, and it, there's just a light that's gone out. And I, I don't pretend to know the guy super well, but he was somebody, like I said, I was always happy to see. And he was just fun to talk with and have a beer with and, and you know bum a smoke from and um yeah he'll be missed in so many more ways than i know him what's your guess on since you play live music um what's your guess on on seeing local or any sort of music live out your best guess we all don't know but what's your guess you know i think one people are gonna flock when they can uh and i think certainly to try to make up for this uh, huge crash in business, the venues are going to be just, you know, ready to go uh, when that flag is, is, is waved. I don't know. I'm, I'm cautious myself. I, I, I want to be safe throughout this and so far so good. And then, you know, they've done a really good job here in Ohio and that's a marvelous thing. It's really tough. So, um, you know, let's stay on the path and keep wearing your masks and keep social distancing. Try to play it smart. Don't listen to politicians. Listen to experts. Uh, and hopefully that will get us right uh, and get us where, you know, I think there people are starting to get a little shack wacky uh, from being inside. But I, ultimately, 
we've only been inconvenienced. Um, this hasn't been hardship like the depression or the war years. There, are, don't get me wrong. There are people who definitely have, who are suffering, but on the whole, um, we've been inconvenienced, uh, and we've got to keep that in perspective too. Shack wacky was that a Mojo Nixon record? <laughs> <laughs> it is the the great lost Mojo <laughs> Nixon record. That's right. Shack wacky. <laughs> That was the collaboration that he was going to do with the husbands that uh, yeah. <laughs> never, never actually was even conceived. But <laughs> I think we'll wrap this sucker up. We appreciate your time, Howard. It's been a blast uh-huh. catching up with you. And we do look forward to the time, and we hope it's in the not-too-distant future, that we can see your band Serial Killers playing live. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate this. This is I'm kind of nobody in the whole scene of things, you know, but um, I love the podcast and I love the radio station and I've gotten to know you both somewhat. And um, it's just a a, a real honor uh, to be here. Thank you so much. 97X, WOXY, Oxford, Cincinnati. The future of rock and roll.